Welcome into Tailgate. Asagil here with Mike Renner. Day what? What day is it here? Four? Friday. Four Friday at the Combine. Uh, today on the show we have Brady Quinn, second, third best quarterback we've had on the show today. We actually had Nate Tice on as well. And then Cynthia Freeland from NFL Network also joins the show, a three-piece meal following yesterday. We're excited for today's show, but also going to highlight, I got one mission tonight, Mike. Mm. I'm getting an Uncrustable from Prime. So there is that bar that I mentioned on the previous show. That stays it's open until really like, it's a steakhouse. It's a steakhouse. It stays open until like six a.m. They like literally sell beers till six a.m. And they say when everyone's leaving, they give everyone an uncrustable. Yeah. And I feel like I need to verify that. Still haven't gotten one. I'm getting one, so I'm getting one tonight. Hopefully, I pray for you. You took the night off. You better be getting one too. I did take the night off. It was a business decision. I had to do a little work. Did a little work. Got nine hours of sleep. <laughs> now I actually feel fantastic. So here we are. So tonight we're going to go out with reckless abandon. Without further ado, let's get to the interviews. Brady Quinn, Nate Tice, and Cynthia. Now doing the show is friend of the podcast, man. Last time I think we had you in person was here in Indianapolis yeah. before yeah. COVID struck. But back yeah. to have you here, Brady Quinn. Excited to talk hand size. We're talking a little bit before. How much does that matter? Let's talk about how much it matters right now. I mean, what, what you guys do all the, the data and analytics. Uh, what does it tell you guys? So, I, I thought Kenny Pickett threw the ball right there. They did. It did. So my thing too, though, is like everyone's saying, oh, you know, he's got small hands, but he is going to play in the NFL with two gloves, right? Like, why not measure his hand size with the gloves on? I think the gloves, like, he is overcoming a lot of that box being not ticked with the gloves. Well, I don't know if it's that so much, right? The gloves provide an enhanced grip for the um, surface area, right, that he's like he can grab with an eight-and-a-half-inch hand. That's yeah. what it's about, right? If you've got a bigger hand, you can put more of your hand on that ball, which equates to supposedly greater ball security. Mm-hmm. But the reality is if you have a glove on, all right, or two gloves on with an eight-and-a-half-inch hand, it's probably better than a ten-and-a-quarter hand mm-hmm. without gloves. No, for um, sure. It's just it's, it's naturally those gloves are incredible, the grip that they provide. So – I, I look. I don't think it's a big deal at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, guys naturally have to adjust their grip because the NFL ball is fatter, it's longer, and you're you're gonna have to find that sweet spot for how you spin it best. It, there's like a learning curve there, and then once you get with that, it's just you know the rest is kind of is all history. So if you're a cold weather team though, and obviously like Buffalo is like always the one that gets brought up, but like if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are gonna have to play games in bad weather, and obviously in a division where you're all outside in that division, would you draft a guy like him? with that being a thing that could be possibly an issue for you in, that, I mean, in those conditions. If, if only we had a sample size of him playing at Heinz Field uh, during his college days. But he did it. When it was bad weather, when he did play in the rain, he did not play well. Well, first off, there's always going to be a drop-off usually for quarterbacks yes, playing inclement weather. Uh, I know he didn't throw well at the Senior Bowl, mm-hmm. but you're kind of up against it too, you know, working with a new system, guys you haven't thrown to before. Yeah. Um, and so you're not always going to have the most consistent days. Uh, but, again, you know, throwing indoors. And all, I mean, the majority of your games aren't going to be played in bad weather. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I, I don't really – I'm not too overly concerned by it. Um, I, I think we make a big deal about it because we're looking for reasons to knock him down a peg as the quarterback one in this class or make Malik Willis look better, whoever mm-hmm. else you want to. I mean, there's mm-hmm. agendas, too, to all this yeah. thing. So. We were talking a little bit before, and you were saying, you know, you don't make too much of, you know, 40 times and arm length and all that stuff, but more pay attention to the tape. What can you actually gain from this process, right? Everyone in media creates these winners and losers, risers and fallers, but what is legitimately right? Who is legitimately rising out of this, and how are they doing it? Well, the biggest thing is medical. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're right now creating, you know, their comp, their grade, and they're going to look at the medical, and there's going to be some guys that some teams don't even want to touch. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be part of it, the interview process, the, uh, the mental, emotional evaluation. There's going to be some players, too, that they don't even want to touch because of past transgressions and the way they've handled that. So 
that's also going to be a part of it that I, I think is personally most important. I mean, you can learn a lot about these guys. Yeah. And if, if a guy is like a shithead in a 15-minute meeting, mm-hmm. it's going to tell you a lot about how he's going yeah. to handle, you know, those longer meetings when you have him come visit you or you go out, out there to visit him. Um, but I think those are the two most important things. The 40 time and all that stuff kind of, I guess, can come into play if, if you're between two guys mm-hmm. and you want some sort of justification or you want to match what you see on film, right? Like we all have our, our intuition or we all have a feel for what we see on film, and then we're looking for the data analytics to back it up. I mean, th- this is part of that data analytics. To me, there's also like, if a guy comes in unprepared, like Jakai Polites of the world, sure. it yeah, only right. like it sifts those guys out. It's like everyone sure. has to do this. Everyone yeah, has if to you fail a drug test, what exactly? Like, like, yeah. You're looking at like you're a moron. <laughs> like you're an absolute moron. Yeah, it's not so much that you even did the drugs. It's like how do you even show up and make that mistake, right? It's more of along the lines of like you need to know coming in that this is going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, now look, I, I have issues with this process. I, I hate the fact that you try to make them bench and then test on the same day. Yeah. And people will say, well, they do that at their pro day. Not really, because not many people, want, no quarterbacks anymore do the bench test, but mm-hmm. then not many guys actually will, will go out and test again. Usually they do it once, that's it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is they'll test on the bench, and then they'll go right into the workouts and mm-hmm. all that. There's not like an eight-hour lull between a bench press and then going out there and, and testing and doing the field drills and all that. So um, the, the whole setup here, I, I think, uh, could be, I, I guess, more conducive to these guys you know, being able to perform at their best. But, hey, maybe that's why we have a fast – 40 time now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you did see a bunch of people opt out of, like, it used to be probably, I don't know, 10 years ago. Yeah. It, it, it was rare to not see a guy do a full run of testing. Like, guys would go everything, and now it's like, guys do maybe a drill, two drills, and that's it. Yeah, so a lot of the sports performance guys that I've talked to have basically said, look, it, again, pushing everything to prime time, it's not in their best interest for testing. If you naturally look at, like, training, right, and when, when is your testosterone levels the highest, it's usually, let's say, to train in the morning, train, like, early afternoon, that's typically when, on average, most male testosterone levels are highest. Mm-hmm. So, if you really want to have peak performance, those are the time frames you want to work within. And so it's really not to their benefit. But what time frame do you usually have a pro day at? It's sure as hell in prime time. Yeah. So that's part of the reason and design behind it. That's part of the uh, information they're getting from some of these you know, strength coaches and some of the guys, at least, that I've talked to in South Florida. Uh, so there's a little bit of that to it. And I think just for some of these guys, you know, especially the guys that play in the semifinal, the season keeps getting pushed back. You're really becoming a track athlete. And, you know, they would need as much time as possible to get down that start, that first 10 yards. It's oh so important and what the yeah. 40 is going to look like. Yeah. You mentioned the NFL interviews and those being, like, such a big part of this process, like ruling guys out for character concerns. We were talking to Dane Brugler of The Athletic. He's like, more teams take players off their board for the character stuff yeah. and for the interviews than they do even anything else here in Indianapolis. I'm not sure how much you've seen some of his media and some of his interview process reviews at the podium today, but Kayvon Thibodeau has been knocked on this process by a handful of people saying, yeah. you know, he's got this ego, he's got this confidence and all that stuff. I came away from the podium today feeling like really good about his confidence yeah he's a guy that really believes in himself but I, I just feel like a lot of that stuff has been overblown have you had chances to talk to him and what have your impressions been in the past and I've obviously listened to some of the things he's said look he's a talented player I think he's got upside but there's also there's just something about him and watching the tape there he kind of disappears mm-hmm. and he does that in the league that really isn't necessarily known for great tackles uh, in the Pac-12 so I, I kind of look at him and go ah, maybe there's something there and then you talk to a kid like Jermaine Johnson who is like just well-spoken, has a certain presence about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he showed out this year, whether it was the first week against Notre Dame throughout the season um, at the Senior Bowl. I mean, every step of the way, I think he's going to test well, too. But he just comes off with a different demeanor. You know, mm-hmm. he, he talks about, you know, serving and just wanting to be the best teammate and all that. And, and look, I get it. Everything's canned now. Yeah. Like, these kids are prepared, like, well, I'd say Biden, but he just reads off the prompter, so I'm not even <laughs> sure how, how prepared he is anymore. But 
Um, I would say like basically a politician. I mean, gotcha. they are yeah. prepped and prepared where <laughs> even like we had Boye Mafe on. And I was just asking, I was like, hey, who are some of the better tackles you went up against this year? Oh, you know, they're all good. But I'm like, dude, come on. Yeah, no, no, dude. <laughs> like, like, you've got to have one that you said, this yeah. is going to be a challenge. Bring mm-hmm. your lunch pail. And you try to have to drag this stuff out of these kids yeah. nowadays. It's like no one's allowed to show any personality. Something we've brought up a ton in this interview, pro- you know, talking about the interview process is just like looking for genuine, right? Looking for authenticity. Yeah. And you talk to guys like, oh, man, <clears throat> who's some of the toughest guys you face? Like, oh, they're all nameless faces. Everyone's a good player. It's yeah, like, dude, yeah. one, when are we going to get something real? And I think you do see that so, from some of the guys in this process. Damian Pierce, the running back from Florida, who's like screaming at the guy who's trying to pull up the ball. Like, you see some of that genuine authenticity. And I do think teams ultimately flock to those guys more than they do, you know, other guys. Right, let's talk about his quarterback class. You obviously, Notre Dame great, NFL quarterback. Which quarterback <laughs> reminds you the most of yourself? I don't know. I'm not, I hate They're going to have to have big hands, that's for sure. Well, well. Yeah. I hate doing this. Um, I, won't, I won't go into that. Okay. This, okay, this quarterback class. Who, who are you drafting first and where are you drafting them? Well, I think Kenny Pickett has the best film. Okay. And that was usually where I kind of leaned towards watching his tape, how his game's going to translate to the NFL level. Um, so I, I kind of I'm leaning there. I think Malik Willis probably has the highest upside, yep. and to me, Sam Howell is the guy that I think has just been the forgotten man in all of this. Um, and honestly, like so, I, I'd probably rank them in that order. Okay. Desmond Ritter's the one that I just ever since they beat Notre Dame, I like don't want to, but mm-hmm. damn it, he just keeps checking every box. Yeah. Let's say I, I don't want to, but at the same time, you watch him then. He's continually kind of developed um, from even just watching him throw. He looks comfortable under center. Um, it's not something they necessarily did a ton. I think there was times where he was inconsistent with his accuracy. He doesn't necessarily have the strongest arm, but I think even watching him in comparison to everyone else, which is nice to see at the combine, is it, it's not – I mean, Carson Strong supposed to be one of the strongest arms, and he could look yeah. like he was babying it and having a hard time with accuracy. Yeah. Um, and so, like, in comparison to that, I was like, man, he, Desmond Ritter came away to me kind of turning some heads. And when you run a 40 at the time he did – he can be a legit run threat. Like, we would talk about that. If you're yeah. somewhere in the four or five guys as a, as a quarterback, when you're it's, when it's a zone read, you can actually read it. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was back there, like in Seattle, for example, I would just hand the football off and then carry out my fake and make it look like it was because <laughs> I was never going to beat a D because he could retrace and catch me. We were talking a little bit before about the receiver class, specifically Drake London. Brandon Marshall is your comp, and you said throwing to Brandon Marshall, it's like throwing to a shack over the middle of the field. He's got such a big Dude, catch right like, Speak to Drake London and the type of player he is, and then also some of your other favorite receivers in this class. Yeah, so you know, there's obviously a lot of excitement, I think, around uh, Drake London and Traylon Burks because of their size and the athleticism that they match with that, which is great, right? I mean, there's one thing that when a player loses his ability to separate when he gets older, as long as he's got the ability to you know, use his wingspan and his body and right, that catch radius, mm-hmm. that's something you love as a quarterback. Because, look, these DBs, we haven't seen a run yet. I don't know this much. So Tyquan Thornton, right, has the fastest 40 so far. Mm-hmm. And he was training down at a place called XPE. There's three other guys that trainer told me, all DBs, Nick Cross out of Maryland, uh, Boogie Barnes out of Baylor, and then uh, Tariq uh, Woolen mm-hmm. out of UTSA. They're all training, training there too. And he's like, yeah, even if he goes, even if he had the 4-2-1, he goes, one of those three might beat him from, wow. from how their testing is. Wow. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where as fast as you can be as a wide receiver, the DBs on average are usually faster. And so you're, you're going to have to be. Right. They have to be. And so the size, the ability to high point the football, make a contested catch, all those things um, make you that much more, I think, valued to a quarterback. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think Drake London has the potential to be the first taken. I mean, he showcases the ability, whether it's downfield, um, getting yards after the catch, being physical. He's run a variety of routes, too, even though that si- the system was kind of simplified under mm-hmm. Graham Harrell. Um, I just I think at the next level he's, he's going to be effective. 
um, very similar to how Mike Evans is, even though he's not as big. And then Traylon Burks the same way. I think he's just a good football player. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know he's not as explosive as Cordero Patterson, but he's the type of guy that I think you could line up in a bunch of different positions and he'd be effective. I like that Cordero Patterson comp because I think Cordero Patterson but what was he similarly. He was like a 4-4 guy, right? Yeah, four he five. was a little. Oh, no, Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson yeah. was like mid-4-4s. Four so yeah. It's interesting, it's like, usage-wise comp because I just think you want the ball in those guys' hands as yep. quick as possible. And that's what we saw. And, he, and he's Arkansas. bigger. Like, he, he's going to be a bitch yeah. to try to bring down mm-hmm. if he gets to the second level. So whether it's, you know, quick screens, uh, fly sweeps, even put him in the back foot every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like we haven't seen teams do that. I mean, that's now. exactly how they used him in Arkansas, right? They're trying right. to get him the ball right behind the line of scrimmage, and everyone's like, why isn't he this vertical receiver? Some people making comparisons to DK Metcalf. I was talking to his agent, and he's saying, well, quarterback there wasn't that good. You know, right. working, Boy, yeah, yeah working the, the vertical KJ route tree is all that great. Love but the it, kid, but I mean. They're trying to get I, him the ball as soon as he can. He, he's, he can't separate the same way either, at least from what I saw. I felt like, you know, it just wasn't quite the same. But I also felt like with Pierce at Cincinnati, mm-hmm. when he ran his 40, he's like, what? Yeah. I don't remember seeing him separate like that either. Yeah. So that was probably one of the bigger surprises to me. All right, let's switch gears. Kind of like a Troy Apke surprise for Deion. <laughs> yeah, right. That really caught Deion off guard. It did. It really did. All right, Notre Dame football. Marcus Freeman, you were the one to introduce him here at Notre Dame. What are your first impressions of him as head coach, and what is Notre Dame going to be getting? Uh, I think, one, he's got young, he's energetic. But the biggest thing nowadays, and especially with the transfer portal, because of the access that every player has to it, you know, uh, it's the relationships that he's been able to develop with the kids. You know, yeah. uh, it, it's, a, it's a day and age where you've actually got to develop that. You can't just be that head coach who's a figurehead, comes in, talks to the team every once in a while, and then, like, barely knows that freshman that we just recruited his name. Like, <laughs> you, you've got to know these kids. You've got to know what makes them tick, how to push their buttons. Um, all those things, I think, are reasons why, in a year's time, he was able to develop that sort of, um, if you want to call it chemistry, just relationship with the team. I think it was important to why he's there now. Um, in regards to you know what will make him a great head coach, the hard thing is, and I don't care if you had 20 years of, of head coaching experience and you're getting the job or you've never had any head coaching experience, being the head coach at Notre Dame is like being a CEO. You've got to be able to manage, in a macro sense, your staff and delegate and then be able to handle all the other things that you've got to handle in regards to fundraising and speaking with boards and donors and yeah. everything else that like makes it go mm-hmm. and helps you compete because your ability to compete on the field is also coupled with your ability to build the best sports and performance center, which there's little talks that I might start you know, building up here mm-hmm. and endowing position groups uh, for the coaching staff and all those things, right? So that, you know, we'll, we'll see through time. But I'm optimistic because I think he's got great perspective uh, from having played and kind of seeing it from the player's perspective there. He understands the importance of recruiting. He understands the importance of what, what steps they need to take in order to be uh, competitive. Um, and, and, he's, and he's putting together a staff that I personally love. Like, I know James Laurinaitis. I know Chancey yeah. Stuck. He played with Chancey. Um, all those guys. Harry he stands damn best in the business. Oh, yeah. So we're lucky to have him. You get Tommy Reese back as part of this whole deal. Uh, Al Golden, I'm curious to see what the defense will look like. But, um, you know, look, obviously he's coming from a team that made it to the Super Bowl this year. So Yeah, I, I have a take on it. That Tell me if you agree or not. That I think Brian Kelly, sure thing, and you knew what you were getting with him. Like you said, very much CEO type. But with Marcus Freeman, I think the spread of where they can go is higher. Like I think he can recruit sure. at a higher level. I think he can bring in talent differently than what Brian Kelly could. But at the same time, you don't know the unknown in terms of the management, where I think you give them the higher ceiling with a guy like Marcus Freeman than you maybe you have with Brian Kelly. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I don't think Marcus is going to be disingenuous. You know, he's yeah. not going to go down someplace and try to you know, have a southern accent or dance, 
you know, shake his boot. I need your crew. take on that. What, 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 come on, what happened there? Has, what, what was I, I like, I honestly, the Southern accent thing, I was like, all right, maybe he's had a few drinks. And yeah. they, it kept going. I was like, oh, this is like watching one of these kids. My it's like watching, My it's like Sam getting on one of the scooters and getting yes. hit by a car right outside him. It's <laughs> like, oh my God, I can't believe he just did that. Yeah. That was kind of how it felt watching it, listening to it. And Perfect. then you go to, um, the dancing thing, and I, I felt bad for the kid. Yes. I really did. Yes. I'm like, man, that's gonna go viral and be there forever. And you got this dude, old guy, like shaking his grinding. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just, I just don't. Yeah, I didn't see the really obvious wins. And some people have spun it to where like he knows it's gonna go viral, so like, no, he, like you know, the LSU is gonna get more. The publicity. kid went. Where do you? Uh, did Alabama. He uh, no, he yeah, then he decommits and the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 Gotta go to Georgia or Bama. I, I can't. Like, I can't imagine he's doing that many more dancing videos with recruits. No, but they also, you know, they've got a lot of things going. You got a group licensing, you know, deal for them to be able to sell their name, image, and likeness for their jerseys. That's huge. There's oh, not wow. many schools that have locked that in. That's massive. It's, it's every massive. school will get it's, there, but yeah, every, they'll eventually get there. They were a first mover in that that sense. So he set up a lot of things. Uh, I think that'll help him be successful. And, and the reality is this: if I said to you, Les Miles and Ed Orgeron won national championships. Yeah. I think Brian Kelly's a better coach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, no, so right. if you can recruit the state, you can recruit that region, they should be fine and mm-hmm. have the ability with the resources they have to compete in the SEC and win a national championship because he's just a better coach. With or without the fake an- accents and the dancing, they should be able to get there. That's pretty much where they're at. I want to throw uh, it's kind of a range of questions at you, but it's an opportunity to talk a little bit about this past year's rookie quarterback class yeah. and talking specifically about Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. Talking to a lot of other quarterbacks that have played in the NFL, Jordan Palmer, one of them, JT O'Sullivan, they talk so much about situation. and like oh, situation yeah. it's, circumstance. it's literally everything, right? And yeah. I think you look at Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson maybe not meeting that the expectations that they had going in. Speak to the situations they're in and where their areas of their game need to improve, but also how much the situation needs to get better. I mean, it's hard with Trevor because it was just – it was a circus there. Yeah. And Speaking you know, the, of really good videos, viral videos. Yeah, there may be still some out there. So I'll, I'll <laughs> hang know. on to your seat there. Maybe, yeah. maybe something waiting to come out. I don't know. Um, you're, you're hearing a lot of things here at the Combine. So <laughs> – it's tough. I mean, I don't know. I would almost just wipe the slate clean, starting over with Trevor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he, there's some seasoning there. He showed toughness. Um, their offensive line, for starters, needs to improve. Yep. That's the first thing. The second thing is he's got no one to throw to. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys can't separate. Um, the system was lacking, too. Uh, I think, you know, Brian Schottenheimer and Daryl Bev obviously have to take accountability for that. But, um, you know, Urban Meyer does, too. Uh, I mean, at one point, they were benching James Robinson in the game, right? Yeah. Because of a fumble. And he's your best offensive player. (laughs) And you take him off the field. Yeah. If you're the opposite team, you're like, all right, we have to worry about Carlos Hyde? Not really. (laughs) So, like, like, we're just going to stack the box and stop whoever they get the football to so you can complete a pass. And and the receivers can, you know, really separate. Not that that's like LaVisca Chenault's deal. Mm -hmm. uh, But still, like, they can only do so much. So, they just have so much work to do on their roster. Um, That's the first thing. I mean, they've got some pieces, but they're just such a long way away. And um, I don't know. I, I feel for them, honestly, because I don't know what direction this thing's going to go. Because one of the things that kind of surprises you when you struggle like that and you have this, I mean, again, it's, everyone's calling it a circus. That's probably the most appropriate word, is your ownership seems to be like absentee ownership, right? Mm-hmm. Tony's not there anymore. He's more focused on the soccer team. Um, or was he? Wrestling. Like, wrestling. Yeah, yeah, wrestling. It was soccer. Now it's wrestling. Um, you know, and, and – it's just hard. I mean, you see teams that, that struggle to have that sort of stability or for things not to get out of hand. Stephen Ross gets the same rep in South Florida mm-hmm. for how he handles things with the Dolphins. And now, now we're kind of looking at them being in a completely yeah. different crap show. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Trevor, it's just 
I mean, there's times when he, he you could tell he was forcing the football. Um, he was inaccurate, didn't really know what to go, where to go with the football, and it felt like he was spinning. Um, you know, Zach Wilson, I, I wasn't high on in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think all the things that I was concerned by kind of came to light. His smaller stature, uh, the chance that he'd get hurt, um, you know, the, the ability to have to get him outside the pocket or deeper drops, something to, to help him see a little bit better and see the field better, uh, be able to be more than just a, the one maybe getting to a second read progression type guy. I mean, obviously he struggled seeing the field. I mean, it's just, it was a big jump from what he faced in his final year at BYU to what he's going to be asked to do at the NFL level. So I'm not giving up on him. I just think, yeah. you know, that's another team that could still build on the roster, but also they have to do unique things to help him. It's not like Trevor Lawrence where I don't think you have to do quite as much. Yeah. You just have to give him a little bit more to work with. So you're the Jags and the Jets. What are you, who are you taking this class first overall, fourth overall, tenth overall? Um, are, you, are you giving them help or are you saying yeah, no, 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 no. Well, on the offensive line, I, I think you need to. Okay. Um, so whether it's Aquanu or Evan Neal. Uh, I don't know. If there's a wide receiver that you, anyone looks at like Jamar Chase this yeah. year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you guys do, but no. I, I don't. I don't see it that way. I think there's just there's a ton of value. I mean, the kid out of North Dakota State. Yeah. Wow. I mean, holy cow. Yeah. That's insane. I mean, he, he looked good in the Senior Bowl, but then you watch that, and you're like, damn, I don't know, he's that fast. Yeah. That's. I mean, that's like what Jamar Chase tested like. Was Christian Watkins his name? Christian Watson. Watson. Yeah. Watson. Um, but like, there's guys like everywhere. Yeah. And so I, I don't want to make a bunch out of it, just a fast forty time. But I mean, this is the fastest wide receiver class we had in 40 times right yeah but they're uh, also a lot short guys a lot of small guys like like smaller, Wilson, but, but this is like your stat you guys love separation it doesn't matter yeah. quite yeah as much that's why that's why it's well, trending smaller so well, right of that. and and who's the who's the last like big body wide receiver to ultimately dominate i mean julio would yeah. you count him in that category yeah six two 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 twenty what's that he was 220 coming out so yeah right probably. so i mean i'm saying you sort of look at that it, it's trending more towards that mm-hmm. more spread more separation guys who can get in and out of routes and cuts we could probably close with this one. It was kind of a follow-up to the situation question, but I find myself like talking about Malik, Malik Willis, right? A guy that has yeah. this high upside. Situation, in my opinion, is going to matter so much to him. And right. you're seeing people talk about this idea that Carolina could take him as high as six. Only one pick in the top 100. A lot of dysfunction in the coach. They already fired Joe Brady. I don't love their receiving. I mean, there's a lot of reason to believe that that situation, as good as you think Malik Willis could be, is never going to meet expectation unless like there could be a coaching change if Matt Rule doesn't live up to expectation. So I do think that what's your opinion of the fit Malik Willis to Carolina, and then is there what is the better fit for him? Where he should he yeah. go? Where should he end up? Um, it's a tough question to answer. I think it could work in Carolina, and they'd have to keep Christian because his ability to run, and I know he didn't run his 40, but I think from watching tape, he strikes me as the type to be like a 4-6-0 or, or sub guy, mm-hmm. kind of like the E.J. Perry kid from Brown. I think he's at least that fast, mm-hmm. if not maybe faster. I don't know that he's as fast as Ritter. But that being said, I think he's a legitimate threat to run, which helps out McCaffrey and helps out an offensive line that still could use a little work. They do need more weapons um, if they're going to go that route and take him. But my biggest concern for him is, again, Similar, like, inconsistent accuracy, but also just the jump in offense. Uh, a little more RPO heavy. I don't see a sense of, of timing and rhythm within the offense that you have to play with in the NFL, in part just because of the way the pocket collapses. I mean, yeah. you just don't have as much time. So all your throws are anticipa- anticipatory throws, um, and, and you've got to breed defense. So many of these kids aren't really taught to read defense. I mean, think about RPO. Mm-hmm. It's a run play. You're reading one defender. If that defender, whatever he does – you're putting that run pass conflict. If he, you know, goes one way, you're throwing it. If not, you're handing off. That's pretty damn simple for a quarterback post yeah. now. I can do that. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you can treat, teach it. You know, teach most people to do that. Yeah. My, my eldest daughter. It's not a big deal, man. We yeah. know. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so the truth of the matter is, 
you know, it, it, when you start talking about, you know, progressions and then uh, middle field, middle field, close, close reads, cover specific, specific reads, uh, it becomes a lot more complicated than how you go about, you know, reading the rotation of the safeties and how defenses will toy with you and play with you. Um, different ways teams are playing empty now um, with they're kind of yeah. giving you some false indicators. Uh, for example, you have a running back that's displaced all the way on the outside. You get a linebacker on him, you think it's man-to-man. Teams nowadays will put that guy man-to-man and almost like a box in one, and they'll just play co- cover four with the rest. Nice. And so they kind of start to disguise some of those principles. Yeah. Now, they, they might end up playing a four-match, which basically plays out as man. Mm-hmm. But there's just different things that they're doing to kind of toy with offenses, and you know, he's got to learn all those things. So that, to me, would be like one of the, my biggest concerns for him is um, whether or not how he handles that, um, you know, what's around him because there's not much around him. And I was able to overcome all that. But, like, the best situation, obviously, is, you know, you find yourself in somewhere like Pittsburgh where you go to a team that they've got some talent, some guys to throw to. The offense line isn't great, but you figure they build on that. And then there's a defense that's not going to force you to be in a shootout, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think that's sort of, you know, scenario. You've got Najee Harris in the backfield. He can help take some of that load off you. That would be a better scenario if you ended up someplace like that. Um, but, again, we could talk hypotheticals all day. <laughs> Brady, really appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on, man. Hey, time, guys. I've got to get the barber cut thing going uh, on. Right whoa, there. I'm taking a graduate course at Notre Dame. That's right. I'm a fellow Golden Domer now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm a Golden Domer. Didn't get to do bookstore basketball, but when I come out of it, Are I'll get a barber. Are you allowed to take it only one course? Yeah, they, they, they so. called me, and it was kind of a weird process. They're like, so what are you actually trying to do? Just trying to take one course to literally like have this joke on the podcast. It's like going to be like, cut like 800 You told bucks. that to admissions? Yes, yes. <laughs> and then they let me do one course. That just Gosh, shows you how is, is, a piece is of the, shit Notre Dame is. I was just going right? to say. That Golden is, Domers is, is this big high is thing. Is Notre I Dame literally, that much? I literally Dude. emailed them like, this is what I'm trying to do. Like, yeah, that sounds good. They let a barber in. And, uh, just, like, let him in. I think you're being scanned. I think you went to, like, Notre Dame Academy. Well, or sorry, I'm getting a really nice degree. No, but thanks again, Brady. Thanks for coming on. That's great being here. I'm done. Now joining the show is probably a better quarterback. We had a we had a good quarterback coming on. Now we have a great one. It's Nate Tice, former Wisconsin Badger legend. Really great to have you on the show, man. Just a legend in my own mind. Dude, that's we had that, we had Brady on just now, and everyone who's listening to the show just listened to this interview. When you were like Brady Quinn, an obvious Notre Dame legend, I was like, what do you want? No, right. don't you don't have to call him a legend like that. It's weird calling another dude a legend. <laughs> Okay. Well, I mean, maybe it was. Maybe it's not. I mean, it was weird. It was weird. Like well, said, anyway, we have a legend. We have a legend on the show now, Nate. Let's start with the quarterbacks. Yeah. Can you pick a hand size? I know you've probably talked about it a thousand times. We, Brady, Brady before was like, how many? How, I was like, how big are your hands? He's like, take a guess. It's like, how big do you think they are? I was like, dude, oh, what God. the fuck is going on here? Brady, <laughs> so how big is, are Brady you? is legitimately yeah. one of my favorite I think it was nine and a quarter. Nine and a quarter. Nine and a quarter, I think nine I was. Yeah. It's not bad. It's and not then bad. I was, I had 34 and a half inch arms, which was worthless as a quarterback. Okay. It's like, yeah, no, it's like. Do they even measure their arms anymore? I feel like not a lot of guys I, they, I think they, some don't. Okay, like, yeah, yeah, I think, or it's more one of those where like, you can see what everyone emphasizes when they list everybody's stuff. Like, yeah. you know, like, what Kenny Pickett was like, height, weight, hand size, nothing else. Like, that's what it is. So, so Mike yeah. and I were on the serious show today, and I was telling him that last night I was talking to a lot of people about the palm percentage and why that matters. Yes. And I, you look at Nate Tice's hands. Nate Tice yes. is a kind of a small palm, but he's kind of got long some fingers. Like, long-ass I, fingers. I've I've been think told, that matters. I've been told that I should have played piano. Yeah. But, uh, yep, I have should no have music. quarterback. I know, right? <laughs> I, I said the same thing. I just got to hang out and signal. It wasn't that, that's why he got a scholarship, right? Just I could signal really well. Gone, right? So Brady was pretty adamant with the Kenny Pickett hand size stuff that it doesn't matter. Like you saw it on tape at Pittsburgh, and he's going to have the two gloves. He was even saying, like, you wear gloves with the grip that you get with that. It's almost better than even having, like, ten and a quarter inch hands. He was comparing to, like, the gloves that like, help you that much grip the ball. Mm-hmm. And it's all being kind of overblown. Are you in the same boat there? I do think 
I mean, the amount of times I've talked about it, it's got to be overblown. Yeah. But I do think it's a fun topic to kind of keep here saying and talk about it. Well, it was one of those things. I grew up around uh, Dante Culpepper, mm -hmm. and that was he always had fumble issues, and everyone's like, "Oh, he's so big, and he has tiny hands," and he had like nine and a quarter. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah. and then you see guys like Burrow, nine inch hands, and so can you play or can't you play like and it's like if he was getting every single time someone touched him and that ball was flinging out like yeah. it's okay then I'd have some worries but he already wears the gloves he's already like has the issue kind of like solved That's how I feel yeah. yeah so it's and like also there's like Daniel Jones has the worst fumbling problem ever and their chills trying to talk themselves into him yes. as, as like being a franchise quarterback so yes. it's like is it going to be that bad I and really it's not. more just like pocket awareness and like how you handle the ball because yeah. that's so much some guys pat some guys are really good and having a structure where you think of the Peyton like mm -hmm. doing all this yeah. and some guys are just loose with it so really that's what matters more so I, I, I'm not too worried about it it's more just what you think with these guys so just you, watch them do you put any stock then in anything that happens here for a quarterback I would say just a little like, okay. but I'm not like if he had a huge fumbling issue and then he measured it it's like well yeah. We got our answer. It's all the confirmation thing. That's right? all it's all it is. That's what you're looking for. So, so I think it's, is it overblown a little bit? Yes. Does it matter? Yes. Like both things can be true, but mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, like 2% as opposed to 90%. So, like the whole combine, is there anything here that a quarterback can do to either raise or lower their stock? Because I'm of the opinion that, like, if you're really moving a guy up based off of this, you're doing it wrong. No, interview but process, though. Interview okay, process. Interview. 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 Yeah. And everyone's coming out of the Malik Willis stuff I mean, saying he's, he's a legend. Watch him throw. And we can even see right here on the TV, they're throwing slants and out routes and go balls. Like, <laughs> everyone has done that against air since they were in eighth grade. You know, Same. and, and that. so that's how. Yeah, but <laughs> it's, yeah, but interviews is like, that's the main thing. Yeah. Getting on the board. And, and it, every team's different what they're going to ask them, but like that's going to help you so much. And just because a lot of the guys, they want to frazzle you and they want to like get yeah. you just rattled and like try. That's what I've learned. They try to poke and, hey, this was a crappy play. What were you reading here? Like, mm -hmm. and then how they handle that. So, yeah. like, that, I think that's bigger than anything for quarterbacks. Say you're an interviewer behind the scenes. What would you be asking, guy? What do you want to get to? To learn from these quarterbacks you have all these top guys that you get to interview who would what would you ask them to find out the most you just start okay what's some plays you like okay all right we draw them up all right and then all these guys are gonna be coached up some mm -hmm. will just know it uh, anyways but then you get them to actually like explain the play why do you like it not just go oh i like this play because i throw touchdowns on mm -hmm. it you know actually explain it do you i like touchdowns yeah exactly <laughs> i had a big play i guess it was great you know i met a girl that night too yeah, but uh, uh protections is the huge thing too that is the biggest transition for so many of these guys getting to the nfl level is also it's like handling that so just seeing okay do you know it or do you like on this one particular play have you been coached up by your agent and by your trainer for <laughs> for six weeks to yeah. like actually explain that play so that's where you're just trying to dissect is how well they actually know the stuff so do you make anything of asking guys to shoot hoops the mini hoop and all that stuff i feel no. like you don't not really it's more no <laughs> maybe that's just me and i just don't give a shit about that but it's mm -hmm. like i think more for that it's like just re-engaging their reaction mm -hmm. like how, how they go about it so protection stuff i, I yeah. know sam howell like what he did at North Carolina was, I, I know that one of the coaches he was worked with said that like, when he had a slot blitz, it was him. Like there were like certain blitzes that if he faced, there was no protection adjustments yep. he could make. That was just it was on him. It was for him to do. How easy is that stuff to learn once you get to the NFL? Like what? Like if you haven't done it at all, which like Sam Howell really hasn't done much mm -hmm. to this point. How easy is that stuff to pick up when you get to the NFL offense? It's hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very hard. And some offenses will go in and go, hey, we're not putting anything on the quarterback. Like, mm -hmm. hey, well, but you have to have a center in mm -hmm. place that can handle all that. And that's what we saw, like, with Justin Fields with the Bears. And I actually thought he was okay with it. But then the center would just leave him out to dry because he was not, not adjusting good. anything yeah. whatsoever. And you could see that's where the problem's like because yeah. then the quarterback's not going, yeah. hey, we're actually doing this. We're pointing this. Like, that's the, that's the transition. 
I think some of these guys are so sharp they can pick it up. Like a guy like Trevor Lawrence, he didn't really have to handle it, but then he but he showed flashes in that simple Clemson offense that he would, he would just kind of like tell ETN and just be like, hey, look, look out over there. And it's like, okay, okay, you can handle it. It's it's hard though because you need being on the board. This is the difference between like me and even like a Brady Quinn. Is that like yes, I'm on the board. I can do it great. Bullets are flying though. Do I am I worried about just getting snapped or yeah, am I yeah. actually going like Oh, that that doesn't look right. Like, hey, wait, what's wrong? This, what's you know, rip this. So it's it just takes reps. But some guys pick it up so quick, and then some guys are just on that board. Oh yeah, that's great. And as soon as the bullets start flying, they just shit the bed. Wow. <laughs> it just it's hard. It really yeah. is hard. So yeah. how do you currently see this quarterback class? Who are some of your top guys? I know you've talked a lot about this half round adjustment you make for quarterbacks and trying yep. to move guys up because you really like them. How do you see them right now? And when's the first? And when's the first spot where it starts to make sense to take the, your first guy off the board? None of them till the twenties, <laughs> <laughs> and I know that won't happen in real life. But uh, yeah, as much as even I like Raider, I came on your guys' show and talked about him. Still, that's where not where. He ran well, but if you watch him, it's like, yeah, that's what he runs. He yeah, pulls yeah, away yeah. from guys. But, like, a guy like yeah, – I, I have come around on Wills a little bit on the week. It, it's just that I get the home run swing aspect of him. And mm-hmm. if you're betting on a quarterback, isn't that what we all talk about is you have to get an elite guy. You yeah, have to get yeah. a guy that can carry you to the to the promised land. And that's – he has that 5%, 10% chance of doing that, even if he has a lot to work on. So I, it's one of those where I've had to kind of, like – come to grips and go, I'm like, okay, I get the love for him, even if my grade hasn't really changed much. It's like, I get the home run swing. What are your thoughts on, like, redshirting a quarterback once you get to the NFL in terms of, like, when do you start them? Do you learn more on the football field, or some do some guys improve more just by being in that offense, getting the reps in practice, but not necessarily being thrown to the wolves and having that pressure on them? I think you got to play. I've come play. around. I used to be a guy that's like, oh, yeah, I can sit, but I realize now it's like these the coaches now are better at not – being all the true West Coast with 40 words in the lexicon and all this yeah. stuff in each play and, like, making it simpler for these guys. So I think it's easier to transition. I mean, even just, like, simple things like RPOs and mm-hmm. nakeds and bootlegs and stuff like that, that's what helps them. So I think it's bullets. Like, you have to face live bullets. Like, you just have. That's – I've talked about with, like, Trey Lance. It's – I think he just – he needs reps. Like, that's – these types of guys, they just need those reps because it's different from going to practice when – oh, yeah, no one can touch me, mm-hmm. and I can just hang out in the pocket and move around to actually going like, hey, I have to get the ball out two and a half seconds. Like, I, I, I think reps, 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 as many as possible. Let's pivot to this wide receiver class. Drake London not testing. I know he's a lot of people's big you know, wide receiver one, but there still have been a lot of impressive times, more impressive when we saw the unofficial times, and those things <laughs> slowed down quite a bit. Uh, I know you're a big proponent of Chris Olave over yeah. Garrett Wilson. I think more of that discussion will go as we move forward. Garrett Wilson runs like a tick faster. It's a weird situation because Chris Olave probably runs the second time, if he knows he ran a 4-3-9. Anyway, compare those two receivers and where you're at with them. Yep, I, I think Olave, and I, I, I've tweeted this, is just that he's scheme-proof. I, I think worse you're getting a number two, mm-hmm. like which is when you're taking a guy in the first round, that's what that's the why taking a receiver in the first and they don't work out for you, it can be devastating. Because yeah. you're giving them reps and targets and like plays, like they're tangible plays, and you kind of have to play them like a Jalen Rager. Mm-hmm. It's like, we have to play this guy. We just took him in the 20s. Yeah. Like, you know. But I, I think that's why I like Olave so much. It's like I can picture him in any type of offense. It's mm-hmm. not where I'm like, yeah, well, they need a vertical guy. You know, it's like, no, he whatever you're going to ask him to do, he's going to do very well. He's very polished. And that's why it was cool to see him run like that. It's like, yeah, because when you run that fast and you're able to – when you run a route, most routes you're running at 90% of your top speed mm-hmm. because you have to throttle down and all that. So when you have that top-end speed, 
okay, then your 90% is going to be even faster, you know, yeah. faster than a normal guy. Yeah. Um, so that's why I like him. I, I just think he's a complete player and, and still has upside to be a num- true number one target monster. But I think that his floor is so high as well. And then with Wilson, I, I think he's more of a project than people have given him credit for, beating press. Even route running, he has the flashes. Like, that's the thing. It's flashes. Of yeah. And so, like, that's – I say he could be an IUK type where it's like you get him to the right spot where you keep it simple for him let him work on the polish the technique and then that can be like his upside there but it with him is he he lunges into his routes a little bit which is kind of awkward sometimes press kind of gives him his issues the penn state game always stands out to me but but saying all that is if he does work on the technique and stuff it's like have you seen this guy with the ball in his hands yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like yes so that's the appeal of him i it's one of those guys i would never reach on but if you take him at like in the 20s it's like okay i yeah. get it because the flashes are there. hearing you talk about Olave, we had you on the show before last year's class and it remind, i know they're maybe i know they're not the same player but i mean it's a lot of how you talk about rashad bateman yes when you talked about rashad bateman it was like oh maybe he's, not <laughs> maybe he's not this high end maybe he's not whatever but like scheme proof and i know what i'm getting and all that kind of stuff yep. and i do think that after talking to you and other people about Olave, you find yourself like taking to that a lot more about guys that you know you can bring in and ask to do everything yep. right away. And that obviously has a ton of value where other people are obviously trying to hit these home runs with the receivers. Yep. It can be more difficult. And if you have to add this extra layer of scheme, add this extra layer to get him targets, it just makes that much harder. Because how many players in your offense can you have like that? Exactly. You can't have two or three guys you have to scheme targets to have for success. You yes. need guys that get open as a second and third read on yes. routes and all that. I, I've always, you know, the designery plays as a lot of these guys, yes, if they, you know, we call them gadget guys sometimes, but it's like, yes, if the coach is going like, hey, this is a Garrett Wilson play and blah, 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 we have to do all this, like, it's exhausting to do that like for 12 different plays. Just and it's also you're really, you're really dependent on him being yes. like, Electric. And he has to get Debo Samuel to be nearly as efficient as you need to be if yep. you're going to have that high percentage of routes going to him or high percentage and, of targets. And, and a phrase I've kind of come to use is like just like with Bateman, that's such a great example too because that's why I liked him. It's like I can just see this guy in any offense and he's mm-hmm. going to contribute is in the flow of the play. Mm-hmm. Is like it's truly when the quarterback's going one to two to three, he's getting open whether he is one, two, or three. And that those are the guys that are useful. So it's not when the guy's like, okay, we have a little, you know, like you've played Madden and stuff, and it's like, okay, we only get the one guy's ball in his hands, and they have the whole like formation and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. When I can just call my white cross play, my 99, like whatever I want to call, and it's like, okay, he's one of the options, and he's going to get open. Okay, we can trust that. We don't have to just go, oh well, that's not his best route. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not his best concept. He's not good on digs. Like that's why the Olaves of the world. It's like, oh yeah, no matter what you put him on, he's going to be useful. That's right. So last time you were on, you talked about to give a guy a top. 10 grade, I believe, he has to have size. Yep. You talked about how much covet size the position, but this was, I believe I read, it was the lightest wide receiver class ever here at the that. Combine. Which, and you have guys like Chris Olave, 187 pounds, Garrett Wilson, 183, John Dotson, 178. Are you coming around maybe a little bit on smaller wide receivers? Are they, are they growing on you maybe a little bit? They That's are. where the game's going? They are. Uh, Waddle was very big for me to go like, okay, the, and Okay, and he has world-class speed, so it's... That helps. But those guys, it's like, okay, with the rule changes, with no more headhunters over the middle, mm-hmm. no coaches willing to, not just say RPOs, but just run a variety of concepts now. Everybody's just kind of running everything now in the NFL that it's these guys are more useful. It's these guys, they have to win on the outside. Being a slot-only guy, it's a detriment because what if injuries happen? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it's like, well, there's our first-round pick, and guess what? We can't line them up on the outside because press is going to kick his ass. But I think I am coming around on it because they just have to have those traits that's like they can win elsewhere. Because mm-hmm. like that's why I love Dotson. Is he's a great route runner. He can beat press. He's great range, catching range, and all that. Despite being a smaller dude. Despite yeah, yeah. being one eighty 
soaking wet. And so like those guys, it's they have to bring something. It's as opposed to being like a one trick pony at 175 and going like, yeah, he's great deep. All right, what else can he do? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, or he's great from the slot. Okay, well that's a guy in the second round. So long story short, it's like yes, I'm coming around for it, but they still have to have that receiver to them, like actual receiver yeah. stuff. I think, I like what you said there about the headhunters because I think that to me is more why you're seeing smaller wide receivers than the lack of illegal contact. Everyone brings illegal contact, whatever, but I think the passing game, the fact that safeties can't come downhill with violence and like really hit dudes, because it used to be like alligator arms used to get talked about a lot, yep. all the time. Used to be talked about, oh, he doesn't have the size to go over the middle. Yeah. It's like now, that's not even a thing. Yep. Like that, that is not even a thing. I think another piece of it too, though, is like we're putting more pass catchers on the field, right? Yep. Now yep. you're running more three wide, more four wide. You can't just have like everyone's 200 plus pounds all running the same. Like people talk so much about the necessity and having like complementary skill sets in your receiving court, right? Yep. You want guys that can do different things. And if they're all six foot two, 205, they're not going to all be able to do these different things that you're looking the, for in an offense. The way I've looked at it, I stole from Kyle Shanahan, is that he said, I like my receiver room to look like a basketball. Line. Yeah. Yeah, every position, you know, point guard, shooting guard, all that, center. And I, I always love looking at it that way. Keeps your playbook more diverse. It keeps you more multiple. I think that's a, that's a really good yep. point. Let's finish with Sky Moore. Sky Moore is yes. my guy, top 40 guy on PFF draft board. <laughs> and you, in the past, have not liked these smaller types. He's a small school guy. Your, your review of Moore, a guy who came in with like th- over 31-inch arms, over 10-inch hands. Yeah, he's only 5'10", maybe a little bit lighter than you want. But those are some measurements, too, that matter. And it, actually, he, he plays, like... That's he weighed okay. Like he was, yeah. you know, he's five ten, but he, he he's built solidly. I love his tape. Like he is, he is such a good player. <laughs> That's like the only way to describe him. He's great on releases, and it's like yes, the competition's whatever. But he, it's no one is no one gets their hands on him. Like and you, we've seen clips of it winning with quickness and stuff. How I put it is that I think he's gonna be high end two, and what's awesome about him is every target you give him he's going to make the most of because mm-hmm. he's such a good route runner. You see the 10-inch hands come to play because he just grabs the ball, and they show the, you know, they show the slow-mo clips when they're running the gauntlet drill, mm-hmm. and you can see him just grasping the ball. So it's, yeah, okay, is he 5'10 and change? Yeah, but he has big hands, and he plays big, yeah. and that's what matters. How many times do you see him in the end zone, like catching like a fade, like coming yeah. down and contested catch? Mm-hmm. He's just a complete kind of receiver. I think um, one thing that's like a little curious for me is some of his yard – creation after the catch a little bit i think he's a splitter as opposed to like a juker even though he has quickness so i'm i want to watch a little bit more of that but i i really like him i've i, I have a i think a late second round grade on him mm-hmm. i feel pretty comfortable about that like someone took him earlier in that I'm, i get it i guess one last thing how do you deal with level of competition especially for wide receivers when that cornerback like you get an athletic difference you get like a, even coverages that they're facing difference how do you deal with that especially for guys like sky moore Cleo shakir like these small school guys who maybe didn't yep. face anyone worth a damn yeah it's no it's, it's true it's well you, they have to dominate and yeah, that's number yeah. one it's not like oh yeah he has some traits and he caught 700 yards you know it's like yeah. no i want and that's what sky Moore and Khalil shakir yeah, did yeah, you yeah, know yeah, they yeah. they dominated those competitions so that's what i look at okay when they do face the big school guys and luckily western michigan did and yeah, boise okay. plays a couple as well is i love shakir by the way like i he's another guy I really love shakir but it's those guys, it's okay. In those big school games, was, were they given issues or are they just still consistently doing what they did small school? Which is the obvious answer, but that's really what you're looking at. And but honestly, when I look at a small school guy, it better be, it better be 90% of those reps you are untouchable. Not, yeah, you're untouchable. You better look like the best player on the field. Yeah. That's what it looks like. It's not where it's like, which guy am I looking at again? Like which, 
is it this guy at the top? Like, oh, yeah. okay, that doesn't really flash, but this guy should every time you watch. It's like watching high school, and you go, all right, which guy's the D1 guy? Like, you know, like, then you just go, okay, this guy right here. That's that's kind of the test I always look for. Nate, this has been fantastic. I always appreciate having you on the show. Thanks again. Thank you. I, I'm used to being QB2, so this is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Now joining the show is Cynthia Freeland, analytics genius, expert. We've been throwing a handful of titles around, but I'm excited to have you on the show. <laughs> just go to say it fast, analytics analyst. Do it at home. Analytics analyst. analyst. Just have fun with that. That's us, tough. You know? That's just tough. Keep well, going, I know Mike really wanted to get you on to talk a lot about how you're seeing teams use analytics, and I think that's a common question, really, to get more in-depth with that, specifically player evaluation, right? Because everyone during the season talks about leveraging analytics on fourth downs and making a decision to kick or not to kick and the overtime rules and all that stuff, but I don't think a lot gets discussed with player evaluation and how arm length, hand size, and all these different, all these new data points, right, get leveraged in player evaluation. How are you seeing teams use that more? And I guess speak specifically on to, you know, what are the more valuable data points they pick up here? I think like to the first question, I think teams are creating frameworks of kind of what's in range and what's out of range to verify or dispute what they've seen on film. So mm -hmm. they grind all the film, they send their scouts out, their scouts give their analysis, their reports, and then they just want to sort of all get on the same page. They create a framework and it used to just be the measurables we have from the combine and now it's measurables that are tools like what yeah. PFF provides. So it's really interesting to see with all the different ways and then most teams have GPS, like mm -hmm. one or another GPS provider so they can now get on-field speeds for their college players which we didn't used to be able to do. So more technology means more data points, means more frameworks. Mm -hmm. So the better teams are creating more specific frameworks. We want a this type of linebacker. That's one that's interesting because a lot of teams have different philosophies on linebackers. We want a coverage linebacker. We mm -hmm. want a, you know, Micah Parsons is so interesting because what is he? Like, yeah. yeah. Like a, you we, know, want we all want Micah Parsons. <laughs> we want a Micah well, Parsons linebacker. <laughs> exactly. But but it's like, you know, do you want more of a coverage guy? Do you want more, the traditional linebacker? Or do you, what kind of receiver do you want? Mm -hmm. Now you're seeing receivers being used as Debo Samuel or Cooper Cup in just such different ways and they don't fit traditional molds. So they're using more data points to create, like, this is kind of what we're looking for. Wow. And if he falls within these ranges, then it, then it's backing up what we see on tape. Kind of a follow-up to that, I was talking a little bit, like I'm a big fan of the interview process, talking to players. And I know when we were talking to Brady Quinn recently, he says more teams cross off players at the, during this week off their board for the interview process and stuff that shows up there. How much is analytics creeping into that, right? Are people saying this guy on a scale of one to 10 has this personality or whatever, and you're looking more at that data? Because I do think if you keep going anecdotal with this interview process, you're going to miss on things. A guy will rub you in the wrong way and you're taking them off boards. If you're actually doing a more data-driven approach with how you talk to these guys, how they react to missing on the mini hoop and stuff like that and actually measuring it, I do think the analytics could be good. Do you know if teams are doing that? There are. There, there are at least, I want to say five. Mm -hmm. It could be six. Less than ten, more than two. How about mm -hmm. that? About at least five teams that are... They have like a rubric, like a grading rubric that has some numbers on it. Yeah. And they'll ask certain questions in a certain order and they've vetted it with like a sports psychologist or a behavioral scientist of some sort. And they kind of, and then they'll rate like, what was your response? And, it, and there are qualitative answers. So mm -hmm. they'll rate it like, I liked it five, you liked it four, mm -hmm. and et cetera. And then they'll blend those qualitative into a more quantitative yeah. process. But they've created the structure using best practices from like actual psychologists and people who know about how your brain works and how you respond to all these. This is kind of like a, this is a really difficult scenario to be interviewed in because mm -hmm. they're tired 
it's confusing. It's a lot of just, can you follow this direction? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you're hearing all these things about yourself and you're being analyzed. Like, so it's, it's you know, they, they try to be mindful of the psychology. Yeah. Of that makes too. a ton of sense. Honestly, I think we need to get our hands on one of those. Yeah, you brought the GPS tracking stuff, which to me seems like the next frontier in football analytics. Like that is going to be player data tracking is going to be like 10 years from now, 20 years from now. I'm not sure the combine is even going to matter. How much are teams putting that emphasis on that over you know, the four threes we see here in the speed we actually see when they're not wearing pads. Wait, 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 the wearing four pads. three or like the, or the actual numbers? <laughs> the four ones. Oh, the... wait a minute. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, I think, I think it's just like anything else. It's like when we went to college, we had to take the SAT mm-hmm. and we had to write an essay and we had to do all these different, I don't even know if kids do that anymore. I haven't mm-hmm. like applied to college recently. But... No, they took away the essay part. Now. Right. So, yeah. so now like there's, but, but we all had to follow a format. And you know the tradition of football is such that they want to. Did you go through the process? You, it's a rite of passage. Did you get it? It's the principle. Yeah, and I think a lot of what goes on here is really like I think the new like analysis I'm going to do is I'm going to walk around to the hotels and I'm going to see which agent is talking to which um, other agent, right? And who or which teams? Because then you could I learn more about free agency here than mm-hmm. I really do about the draft, which yeah. shapes the draft because then whichever free agents go yeah. somewhere will dictate the you know what what a team needs so it's it's interesting like the other stuff that happens here is so important that like the ceremony of just running is or you know working out is it just kind of it's a rite of passage did you do your you know get off my lawn you know that kind of thing (laughs) so the rams are big on using that tracking data and they didn't even send like their staff here is that going to be obviously it's copycat league you always say are people going to start to follow that model where they don't put their scouts on the road as much as other teams, where they start to do, do all in-house stuff and basically don't have their people do the traditional scouting methods? Well, let me be honest. When's the last time, the, who was the president the last time the Rams picked in the first round? That's also fair. That's so, also fair. <laughs> you know, they don't need to get that right. You know, I, I was having some really interesting conversations. I'd be really curious to hear all of your thoughts on this. Like, the value of hitting on an elite player in the draft, because homegrown, in your system, you kind of know what to pay them, you've had the relationship with the agent, you've had the relationship with the player, you know the system, all these things, like hitting on an Aaron Donald, what's the value of that? It's like very massively valuable. So I think some of it's a little bit of chicken and a little bit of egg. I would imagine if they were picking in the first round, you would see more Rams representation here. And I do think that some of those like smaller school guys that they're actually pretty good at figuring out if their system fits. I think they do a pretty, I'm gonna call it a traditional study, but kind of using an untraditional way of procuring the data. So I, I think it's you're going to see more head coaches not be here as a way to empower the under, you know, the coaches who are kind of, they're under, you know, up and coming coaches, because I don't necessarily think Kyle Shanahan needs to be here. Yeah. If you've already have your quarterback, if you already have, maybe you don't need those interviews. And maybe you empower your OC to gather that data. So, because do you really want to waste your time like interviewing people who you don't want? I don't know. Like it's six of one, half a dozen of another. I'd rather go on vacation. Just kidding. (laughs) Actually, like I actually love it here. But you know, focusing on the number one overall pick, there's a lot of speculation that the Jaguars are deciding between Icky Aquano, the NC State offensive tackle, and Evan Neal of Alabama, a guy that came in at 337 but looked like he was 205 or whatever it was. Icky Aquano testing right now. No, his waist it looks like a wide receiver waist. It's absurd. It was. I look. I'm like, is this a human? Like, are we the same species? Like, how does this happen? Like, it. 
I mean, I'm, I'm like, whoa, crazy. Sorry, so I didn't no, no, I, I was, was saying like, that everyone must know his <laughs> tiny waist. It's crazy. Uh, Evan Neal, some people are billing him as like the safer of the two options, right? They feel he can sure. immediately come in and have the success. Coming from Alabama, he's got inside-outside versatility, whereas Icky Kwanu is getting billed as this upside. And Mike and I joke on this podcast about upside. And can you value that? Can you measure how much of the percentage chance he becomes a star versus the percentage chance he becomes a starter or a bench player? How much our teams are measuring that, right? How much our teams thinking about, okay, I want an 8% boom potential versus like a 40% starter potential. I do think that's the huge factor. Like the value of that pre- like hitting on a high-end player versus the value of safety and comfort. I think the other thing that you need to factor into that is on some level, the value of getting a left tackle in the left tackle market that's very expensive mm-hmm. on a rookie contract for an extra year. Yeah. I do think that does have a value. Like that's part of why you know the whole running backs don't matter thing is like, well, the running back market is oh, okay. There's some few outliers, but you can get running backs that are fairly priced. Mm-hmm. You you cannot find find me a left tackle that is really good that's fairly that's not super expensive. You know, so part yeah. of that has value to it too. And I think of all of the positions I think anyone on the O-line that is as old school as they come mm-hmm. right they're they're not they wouldn't even you go up to an O-line coach and be like his complete like boom potential is eight percent be like what does that mean <laughs> yeah right? so true but but it like whereas a wide receiver mm-hmm. especially in this class like everyone's like which you know which flavor of wide receiver do you want so mm-hmm. this is like a boot like that would make sense to them but it just feel like that's when it's like old school grit like I think that's kind of more at least what my experience and also I think I have no data to back this up but just exciting from what from what I've like yes you're what you've what you've taken in offensive tackles are more loyal to the franchises like they're more likely to sign an extension prior to free agency like that's why they're the big ones don't often hit free agency so that's why it's also rare to pay I do think you're hitting the nail on the head though with like the positional value conversation I do think it's like some negative criticism by traditional draft analysts or people are like oh man you're telling me positional value means I can't draft Kyle Hamilton in the first round but where positional value starts for me, where the conversation starts for me, is how much do this do these positions make on their second contract? Because yeah. getting a left tackle or pass rusher at the two highest paid non-quarterback positions in the NFL on rookie contracts with that fifth-year option is so much more valuable than nailing an off-ball linebacker or nailing a safety, like because you can get really good safeties or really good centers. Right, the highest paid center in the NFL doesn't make as much as the 20th ranked left tackle. Like you can go get those guys on the open market. I really do. That's where the conversation starts. I, although I, I look, I know one. Person person amongst us likes Notre Dame more than the rest. Yes. And I do know that in certain cases, I think the value of safety is actually going up. Okay. Especially a safety with versatility. And I think that Kyle Hamilton specifically, these guys who can be super multiple, especially mm-hmm. like now you see the league, we, we, it's what, you know, it's just chess matches. So you see a bunch of quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow come to mind immediately. Look at the difference between when they face single high safeties, which is typically man coverage, mm-hmm. or when they face two safety shells, which is often zone. Mm-hmm. And then you see that's kind of like the that's the like the kryptonite right there, right? You know, we know the blitz stuff, yeah. but also the two safety that that situation becomes more and more valuable. Now, so depending on the franchise, like if I'm you know facing these, if I'm in the mm-hmm. AFC, like that actually drives the value of a guy like Kyle Hamilton up because he has such versatility and he can be that like 
the Patrick Mahomes star, yeah. you know? So there is, I think that one's rising because of what we've seen from tight ends mm-hmm. and how wide receivers are being used and the fact that we're passing like all of the time instead of running the ball. So I think that, I, I do think that there's, that one's going up just in general, but I'm with yeah. you on the like the off ball. I just said that, I said that in last, like two pods ago. I was like, <laughs> safety's going up because of the way the defenses are playing. You think you're it's better than I get I'm that. Just I get that. No, we're in agreement. I, I, I said it two years ago. Cynthia, this has been fantastic. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. That's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Until next time, Mike Renner, Austin Gale, Tailgate.